So I actually have Lion and Kugel tonight. I went out. Good for you. I've been avoiding beer right. recently because I was doing this whole fitness thing, but uh, I just couldn't take it anymore. So I went out and bought myself some Honey Vice. So I have Honey Vice. That's one of my favorites. Beer, beer in yeah. moderation is healthy food. Well, you know, and that's true, actually. I met. My, I visited my doctor. I had a little routine visit with my doctor recently, and I was reading one of the little, you know, uh, little pamphlets they've got. And uh, apparently, the beer is good for me. It's like good for mm-hmm. my heart. And uh, so. Okay, doctor's orders, man. Yeah, man. There you go. Well, everything in moderation. Moderation? I'm sorry. Who said anything about moderation? Everything everything in moderation, including moderation. Yeah. There you go. Be moderately moderate. Yeah. That's right. That's right. That's right. So in the forums, they're all talking about... In the forums, they're all talking about uh, 1888 Bach. Have you? What is? Have you drunk any of that? This is a lining cool. I haven't seen it yet. I have a six pack of that. You do? I've not popped it yet. What's? Could you send one over? Sure. Come on down. (laughs) Why don't you just come? Why don't you both just come here and and that's where the beer is. I tell you what. uh, In about uh, one, two, three, four four weeks, weeks, I'll do that. Four weeks. Okay. That's right. Yeah. I can't guarantee the same six pack will be available. Uh-huh. Well, that's okay. As long as one of equal and comparable quality and value is available as an alternative, yeah. Yeah. we'll consider it a standard sample. Yeah. All right. So, uh, Thunderbird, a time machine. Right. Enough beer talk. So, David, a new airplane for you. Here we go. Uh, this is uh, the uh, Terrafugia. Now they're calling it the Transition. This is their rotable aircraft, a.k.a. flying car. Uh, was big in the news the last few days because they actually flew the thing. and uh, Yeah, they flew it, they and then they the massaged thing. the video and yeah, prepared the interviews some, and it took some invitations to be on Times Square, and uh, then they announced it. Yeah. So, I mean, I, you know, I actually got – it's right around the corner. I, I got invited to go, and uh, unfortunately I couldn't go because I was out of town, which I'll be talking about in a little while. But, uh, Man. Bummer. Um, but I don't know the pr- little press event thing. They didn't fly it at the press event, right? It had already flown. They, they're not. They're no fools. They flew it first, yeah, and then right, invited right. the yeah. press in. They folded the wings. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, they flew one with foldable wings. Yeah. Uh, so, yep. Uh, forty forty people uh, have already been convinced. Uh, apparently, according to the company, ten thousand dollar refundable deposit toward a hundred ninety four thousand dollar purchase price. And uh, this gets you a uh, a uh, two place LSA category uh, flying machine that you can drive on the street. Yeah. And now what's oh so if it's an LSA category then it cruises something like 110, 100 miles an hour, 100 knots. Well, 120, 120 is knots is the max. Is the max right? But we don't know that's how what it actually flies. That's just the max that it could fly. Right. To right. The way it looks, the size, the shape, the horsepower it's carrying, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if it was making 110. What uh, engine is capable it, of making it? It's a Rotax 912. Oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, it's a it's a good solution for that size and weight. Now, uh, what but, drives the vehicle on the road? The the propeller? Yeah. It doesn't I the Rotax? I think I read someplace the Rotax powers it on the road. It must be some sort of gearbox thing. I don't know. I was under. Uh, uh, I guess maybe I uh, what took the wording of that to mean that the engine drives wheels when it's on the road as opposed to the prop being the motive force. Uh, but the, I don't know that for sure. Yeah, clearly, the road tax is the motive force, but how is it, how is it driving the vehicle on the ground is, is uh, 
of interest. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, if I you're going to have a, if you're going to have a transmission and and axles and, and all that kind of thing, seems like that would be a lot of excess weight. And and it will be hard to get under the LSA weight limit with all that. I don't know. I I just have a hard time imagining that it that you you could have a a car that was driven by a fan by a propeller. That would be. I mean, would they allow that? That sounds pr- pretty. Scary. Well, it's been done before. Yeah. Uh, and usually, There's, what they, what they do is have the the prop in a position where people can't walk into it. And that's right. the case with the transition here. It's between some booms. Mm-hmm. Uh, tail booms and ahead of the uh, uh, horizontal surface, so that you couldn't exactly walk into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it's an interesting idea. I, I'm not sure if it's going to be an airplane for me, but apparently there's a lot of interest uh, both in the aviation community and outside of it because it got some real mainstream press the last few days. And uh, you know, more power to them. There, uh, at least one of that team is a uh, uncontrolled airspace listener. We met him at uh, Oshkosh last summer. I don't know if you guys recall. But uh, but one of the folks who came I do in, remember that yeah one of the guys who who spoke with us I believe it was during podcast or before or after podcast of Palooza was a guy who was some sort of engineer for I apologize for not remembering I do remember that yes yeah. yes so yeah. uh, I don't know maybe we should get him into the hangar sometime tell us a little bit more maybe about what's going on get him on yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, I think cool. uh, anybody in aviation would be more than welcome them to the fold that's right and of course David this is literally an airplane you could take to the grocery store. Yeah, uh, this would be that one that I could drive to the grocery store and then drive down to Dead Cow and uh, top off uh, with the premium unleaded at the convenience store before I taxi onto the airport. And yeah. they say seventeen hundred feet at gross weight standard condition, so uh, I consider Dead Cow a twenty three hundred foot strip with obstructions at both ends. It should work. Yeah, there you go. There you go. All right. You, uh, just don't stock up on scotch. No, no, I definitely would, uh, definitely would. That, that's not on the MEL because yes, yeah. scotch is always available at the destination end uh, or almost always, and if not scotch, a suitable alternative. There you go. There you go. The members of the Uncontrolled Airspace Podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with. Also, anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on aircraft operation is obviously very general. You should always consider your own situation, remember your training, and fly the airplane. But you knew that. Oh, and real pilots fly Cessnas. Welcome, folks, to episode 126 of Uncontrolled Airspace. I think it's 126. Am I right? I think it is. 126 is what's on my. Yeah. It's what's that's what it on says my here. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's what it says there, but I could have gotten it wrong there too. We're recording well, this episode. Oh, oh. Before, before we go away. Yeah. Front front wheel drive on the ground. It says. Ah. Okay. Uh, okay. That's at the at the uh, Terrafugia website, uh, terrafugia.com. Front wheel drive on the ground. So there you go. That didn't want to leave that hanging over us. All right. Okay, good. Now, we're recording this episode uh, on uh, Friday evening, March 20th, 2009. uh, Happy spring, everybody. Yeah, apparently this year, this is the first day of spring. It varies from year to year, right? Sometimes it's the 21st, sometimes it's the 20th. I guess it was this... this, Today, this year, and uh, I thought it was it's always, always one of the two somewhere uh, on yeah. the planet. That it's, sometimes it's the twenty-first, but in any event, it's almost spring, and that's a good thing. That's a good thing. It's been spring here. 
Okay, let me say hi to my friends, or at least one person who's my friend and another. Who might that be? One of those voices out there is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, Dave. How are you tonight? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a uh, productive week. Uh, succeeded in actually finishing almost all the projects that I had on my to-do list on Monday. And uh, wow, here it is uncontrolled airspace time and beer 30 at the same time yeah. what more could i ask for well it could be at the actual airport but. always a good combination we gave you an extra day this week though we were uh, we were going to theoretically we were going to record last night but well we'll talk about that a little bit but uh, we weren't unable to record last night also in the hangar is uh, jeb burnside and Je- burnside not birdside burnside and uh, don't give us any more straight lines than we I'm need. I'm sorry. No, I'm really sorry. It's not. It's. I don't want to. Never mind. Jeff Burnside <laughs> is here, and he's talking to us from Sarasota, Florida. He's always giving me crap about the weather. I don't know why I'm so worried about his feelings. Hi, Jeb. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Jack. How are you this evening? This fine. Jeb, oh, that has to be the most understated, quietly put, bite me I've heard in a long uh mr higdon um what can i say so it continues to be nice in florida right well yeah you know that is such a shock it it was chilly you know we had a little chilly spell here earlier in the month okay uh we've kind of gotten past that some chilly days in january of memory sir we did we did um but we've gotten past most of that and it's been uh um 55 or so in the mornings and maybe a high of 75 80 and then uh, pretty consistent. It tried to rain a little bit earlier in the week, but got past that also. And uh, looking forward to just a really cool weekend. Yeah. So life, a lot in, of, life in the air park still working for you? Life in the air park is still working. Um, um, there was a, there's a, someone at work asked me um, recently about, um, you know, there's an air, my, my, my boyfriend saw an airplane out near where you lived, and, and was doing a bunch of stunts and, and whatnot, and I was wondering if that was you. I said, well, no, it wasn't me. Well, what kind of airplane was it? I don't know. Uh, what color was it? I don't know. I guess it was a little orange or something. I said, all right. you know. And I started looking around, paying attention, and there's a, a, a Fokker. Um, I, I, I don't recall the exact model. It's a uh, 1950s era uh, design and manufacture, all metal. Mm-hmm. Um, low wing tail dragger um, that's based here, mm-hmm. and um, guy was was out doing uh, uh, some acro just south of the field, and that's uh, what was what was seen. I saw the guy um, actually he was doing touch and goes the other day, which is kind of a neat trick here because the fairly short runway, but he he was getting away with it. Um, and, um, um, nice, nice looking airplane. I haven't, uh, I haven't gotten up close and personal with it yet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but, um, and then there was a steerman went out, went out the other morning and it's just been, uh, uh, just, you know, delightful to watch. Sounds good. So, you, so you have not yet reached the point where you don't walk out of the house in the morning and go, I live on the airport. <laughs> <laughs> no, I haven't. Well, you know, it's, it's. You you wake up in the morning and and often you know there's a there's a um, early morning departure. Uh, there's a guy who uh, commutes from here to yeah. uh, the east coast of Florida, so I, I kind of know that I live on an airport yeah. when I wake. Yeah. Um, but um, um, 
Yeah, I haven't 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 gotten um it hasn't gotten old, let's put it that way. That's great. That's great. Hey, and I'm Jack Hodgson and I'm talking to you from the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. Where I just returned you like, like World Headquarters. Three hours ago. I was uh, I just got back from a trip to uh to Morgantown, West Virginia. And uh, and it, well, we're in, I'm going to talk about it more in a little bit. Little bit, but uh, I have to tell you, I you know I, I I owe West Virginia an apology because I went to West Virginia expecting it to be you know like one big open pit coal mine or something like that. You know? <laughs> and uh, um, it's really nice. At least the part of West Virginia I was in was really pretty. Uh, it's still winter, so there's no leaves on the trees, but you can just tell that it's just a really really picturesque uh, part of the country. Lots of hills, uh, uh, you know, up and down. It really, gor- there was a great river gorge that we flew over, arriving in there, and uh, um, just, just oh yeah, nice- man, that that whole area, Morgantown. Uh, For people in- who don't know, Morgantown is sort of in the northeast, you know, quadrant of of West Virginia, just sort of just south of Pittsburgh, and. Uh, that whole area is very nice. Um, I've, I've done a lot of flying in and out of there, but uh, um, you know, there's all kinds of, of recreation. A lot of a lot of rafting, a lot of rapids uh, in some of the rivers there. Um, years ago, I flew a guy, uh, actually a, a video team. They were videotaping the Potomac River from the headwaters um, uh, up at Point, uh, whatever it's called. Um, um, uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but we flew low and slow on a Skyhawk all the way down an area, and uh, just is is really stunning. Sounds um, great. Yeah, sounds great. So, oh, you get you follow that all the way down to uh, Charleston, West Virginia, mm-hmm. Harper's Ferry, uh, where the what's the other what's the river that flows into the Potomac there? Uh, Anacostia, DC. No, no, no. Up at, up up near Harper's Ferry. Uh, oh, that's a good question. I don't recall. Is that is that, is that the Shenandoah? Uh, could be. I think the Shenandoah runs differently, though. I'm not sure. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. well, it, there's a there's another river flows into the Potomac right there. The big national park mm-hmm. uh, that is a preserved Harper's Ferry, circa the Civil War era. Right. era. And, and earlier, when uh, we had a big armory operation, the United States did at Harper's Ferry. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it sits right on a point where the two rivers come together. We used to do a lot of tubing uh, on the rivers there. Uh, the National Park site is great. Uh, and you can fly into Charleston just a few miles away. they got a racetrack over there, and a little strip nearby. and. Uh, it's a nice little place to drop into. That, yeah. that whole part of West Virginia is nice. Yeah, it was very nice. And when I arrived on uh, Wednesday evening or Wednesday afternoon, uh, it was an uncharacteristically warm day. It was like 75 degrees there that day. Wow. And uh, we actually had dinner out on the They actually opened the deck at the restaurant uh, at the hotel where we were staying. And so we ate dinner oh, out that's on the nice. deck. And uh, very, very pretty. I uh, I really enjoyed my visit to uh, to Morgantown. And, uh, and I'm going to talk about the airport in a little bit, but uh, we'll come back to that. Hey, Dave, so you mentioned that uh, we're going to Sun and Fun in a few weeks. Uh, the Notum's out? The Notum's out. Uh, we've got a link to the FAA site where you can download the PDF. Uh, usually there's an opportunity to request them to mail you a hard copy, but at this late date, I'd really recommend just getting the PDF and printing it out front and back. You should know how to do that, even mm-hmm. odd pages. 
staple the puppy together. And if you're coming to Sun and Fun, uh, read your parts, highlight your parts, and have that puppy uh, up on the front seats with you. Uh, somewhere around, by the time you hit Ocala, yeah. And, and beyond. If you don't have it, if you're not working it by the time you get to Ocala, you're behind the curve. Yeah. Yep. Very, very important. Very, very important. And, and you know, as with, with anything like this, um, have plenty of fuel and be and be patient and stay off the radio. Listen. Yeah. Have you looked at yeah. the not- Notum yet? Or are there any notable changes, any significant changes? I noticed year? Nordo aircraft are not allowed this year. Really? Real? Yeah. Huh. That's what the FAA website said. Let me look at it again and make sure I'm not talking through my lineage cap. Uh, well, that kind of jumped out at me. Yeah. Uh, Just in case anyone doesn't know, Nordo is short for no radio. Uh, and uh, I, th- they, I would imagine they've had pr- procedures in the past. I think Oshkosh still has a procedure for, yeah. for Nordo arrivals. Okay. Right here on page two. Under the heading Sun and F- uh, 2009 Sun and Fun Fly in Lakeland, Florida, April 19 to 26, I think that's the ti- the effective dates of the NOTAM. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wow, only through the 26th. Yeah, it's a short. It's Tuesday through Sunday this year. Yep. Yep, it's shorter this year. But it's going to be a lot of fun things going on. Of course, all the uh, aviation stuff uh, that, that goes on every year. And uh, this year, there's going to be, uh, we're going to be back there doing uh, uh, uncontrolled airspace. We're going Which to do- is well, the only reason to go to Sun and Fun. That's right, yeah. Uh, once again, we'll be doing two uh, episodes of uncontrolled airspace uh, as the, the guests of our friends at Sun and Fun Radio. And that's really cool. We're very excited about that. And we've apparently started a thing because uh, Sun and Fun Radio and Sun and Fun in general enjoyed having podcasters around so much that they've invited a bunch more. And so uh, this year, the uh, each day uh, in the uh, in the afternoon, right after the air show, up until the beginning of the evening program, uh, which is approximately 6 to 7.30 p.m., uh, each day uh, in that time period, uh, an aviation podcast of some sort is going to be recording a special episode. So we'll be there on uh, Tuesday uh, doing uncontrolled airspace, and all of us will be there as well as uh, the extended gang. Uh, James is going to be joining us. Uh, I'm sure Amy will be in town, and uh, anybody else, uh, lots of other friends from the We'll, we'll be inviting some others that we'll, we'll let you know us. about as we get closer. So we'll be doing that on uh, Tuesday evening. We'll also be doing another episode on Sunday morning at about 9.30 a.m. Uh, on Wednesday evening at approximately 6, uh, Jason Miller will be doing an episode of the Finer Points podcast from the deck at the Sun and Fun radio station. That'll be cool. On Thursday evening, Will Hawkins and David Allen will be doing an episode of their Pilot's Flight Podlog podcast, which will be very cool. On Friday, well, let me come back to Friday. On Saturday evening, uh, from approximately 6 to 7.30, Stephen Force will be doing an episode of the Airspeed podcast from the deck. And then going back to Friday, on Friday evening, uh, from that in that time period on the deck, we're going to be doing uh, a Sun and Fun version of the gather- Gathering of Aviation Podcasters. We're going to find uh, all of the, uh, anybody who does an aviation podcast who is visiting Sun and Fun and in town that day, we're inviting them to come by and, uh, and we're going to do some hangar flying there on the deck. Uh, kind of a big gang uh, hangar flying session and uh, see what people are up to and what they're seeing and uh, uh, and and introduce you to some podcasts perhaps you weren't familiar with. So yeah. that'll be Friday evening. And uh, so it's going to be quite a week uh, in many ways, one of them being uh, uh, lots of different podcast uh, aviation podcasts going on there. And uh, well, if memory serves, Friday evening when the uh, gang podcast 
uh, ends will be the beginning of the night air show. Is that not correct? I'm not sure about that. That could be, though. Is it, yeah, Friday is the night they do that, I think. Yeah. So it's going to be a fun week. I can't wait. It's going to be great. And, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, please come on by any of those evenings to uh, visit with us or the other podcast folks and, uh, uh, and say hi, because uh, we'd love to uh, visit with everyone. So uh, that's sun and fun. Let's see now. News of the day here. So uh, this is an item from, I think, last week, but it's kind of interesting, um, really changing the uh, subject here. Um, apparently an interim report has come out on the triple uh, seven uh, accident that happened in Heathrow a while ago, like a year ago, right? This is the one where yeah. the aircraft engines spooled down uncommanded uh, on final, and uh, pilots, uh, uh, through good piloting, managed to just barely make it over the fence and uh, land in the, you know, land short, and, and uh, mm-hmm. I guess everyone was okay, but uh, uh, it was quite there a mystery a for a while. Of, there were a couple of injuries in the evacuation, I believe, yeah. but uh, everybody more or less survived. And it was quite a mystery as to what was what happened, and I guess it is still a little bit of a mystery, but I, they're, they're probably, well, they've kind of developed a consensus as to what happened, yeah. right? And, yeah. and this is a big deal. I mean, this is not... It is a- it is a big deal. They they kind of knew earlier on than than maybe this the release of this report uh, might let someone believe. But uh, basically, um, jet fuel retains water. Mm-hmm. Um, water is absorbed into the jet fuel, and and we know that. Uh, we plan for that. We engineer around it um, because at altitude where it's you know sixty below Fahrenheit. Um, 60 below zero Fahrenheit, I should say, um, water tends to freeze. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Um, yeah. What, yeah, what happens is uh, uh, most, um, well, uh, most modern uh, turbine aircraft, uh, either uh, aircraft of this caliber anyway, uh, have um, heated fuel systems. And um, they use uh, engine oil. Uh, circulated around uh, various components in the fuel system to help heat the fuel. Mm-hmm. Well, when an engine is at flight idle thrust in a, in a descent from cruising altitude, it's not generating much heat. The oil isn't um, um, that warm. And what happens, or what they basically are, are saying happened with this 777, is that um, uh, one of the... Um, well, there, there's actually uh, I'll get to the I'll get to the the one issue in a moment, but the fuel pump um, there, there was a, a basically a, a situation where the um, ice crystals formed in the fuel and clogged the fuel line. Uh, I forget exactly where, but I think it was near one of the one of the fuel pumps, and uh, cut off the flow of fuel to both engines almost simultaneously. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe the uh, way it works is the ice crystals collect on the screen uh-huh. that yeah, feeds that pump. Uh-huh. And it apparently reduces flow to the point where oh, yeah. uh, engine power can fall off or if there's a sudden change in airflow, I mean, in fuel flow, like you increase demand, crystals that are suspended in the water will start to rush to the screen, and you'll initially get power, and then the fuel flow will just fall off, and the engine will adjust to it. Now, the way you describe it, it sounds like a a fuel system issue, but they're uh, now saying they're pointing a finger at the engines and saying the engines need a redesign. Yes. Well, I think what you're you're 
I don't think the engines need to redesign. I think that the the fuel system associated with the engines needs redesign. Um, the, the, this is the Rolls Royce Trent, I believe, engine, uh, and in the seven in the triple seven installation of the Trent. Uh, there is only one uh, component of some. It might be the screen. It might be the fuel heater system. Um, but there's only one of them in this installation where there, might, where there are two in um, other 777s powered by different engines. Uh-huh. Okay. okay. And that it's, is, I think, yes. what they're saying is need, needs a redesign. The engine itself is there's nothing wrong. Now, right. a, the- workaround, a workaround situ- um, um, a procedure here is to, uh, during the descent or during any um, um, situation where the engines have been uh, uh, very stable and, uh, and, and within a certain temperature range. Now, I don't know all the parameters, but they uh, what they want to do is they want the crew to run the engines up to full power for a period of time to heat them up and heat up the oil and get that oil circulated uh, and get it warm so it'll help melt those ice crystals. Um, they do that either in crews and or um, in the descent, and they're they're saying that's a good workaround until they can redesign or re-engineer these fuel systems in yeah, these triple uh, yeah. seven. Yeah, they were they were also talking at at one point. I think this was the early workaround was monitoring the fuel temperature, which the mm-hmm. airplanes apparently allow you to do, and. If the fuel temperature starts to drop below a certain point, then there's or the outside air temperature it may have been. If it drops below a certain point for so long, then they uh, wanted them to f- go lower, uh, where mm-hmm. presumably the temperature, uh, higher temperature, could be maintained. But yeah, Jack, Jack Jeb's pretty much on the money here. The 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 heating system for the fuel. Uh, somewhere along the way needs uh, some redesign work to improve its ability to keep the uh, uh, moisture from condensing out and forming ice crystals. And this is not the first or not the only uh, this is the the first slash only 777 that's actually bent metal as a result of this. It's not the only uh, Trent powered 777 that's had this issue. There was a Delta um, 777 I want to say it was over the Conus um, uh, recently that had uncommanded rollback on on both engines and was traced to the same problem. The crew, um, I, I don't, the, the crew recovered the airplane, and um, um, I don't know if they landed short of their destination or went on to their destination, but it, it was not a catastrophic. Right. Uh, failure as 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 was the case at Heathrow. Yeah, well, it'd be interesting to follow this. It's going to be apparently because yeah. it's going to take a while to uh, actually implement this change to the fuel system. So well, they've yeah. got they've got a par- fairly long period of time where they've got to baby these things, I guess, right? Well, you, you know, this is not something that you do lightly. Um, this isn't uh, uh, an O two hundred and a one fifty, um, and um, you know these these fuel systems, the engines, etc. Uh, fairly well thought out. They're they're um, well, uh, other than this problem, of course, well engineered. Um, so you don't want to get into a situation where you try to fix one problem and you create one or more other yeah. problems. Yeah. So that's that's I mean, what that's what they're going to be doing is is just trying to figure out how best to tackle this particular problem. Right. If memory and, serves, there's uh, well over 200 of these airplanes out there. 
with the with the Rolls Royce engine on them. Is there and that got, many? I I did think there were that many, but you might be right. There were, you know, it, it, it tens of hundreds of thousands of flight hours. Yeah, with yeah. two incidents that we know of. Right. Where this has occurred, uh, and had not that first one occurred, one short final into Heathrow, uh, we might not yet be looking at it with the urgency that we are now. Yeah, that's yeah, interesting. Hey, while we're talking about uh, airliner incident mysteries here, um, and I apologize, this isn't on the list, so I'm drop surprising you with this. But have we heard anything more about what was the aircraft that uh, veered off the runway while it was trying to take off? Uh, you know what I'm talking three. about? Yeah. yeah, it was a 7-3. That's right. It was a 7-3. It was someplace here in the U.S. And uh, Have we, we heard anything more about that? Or, I, the, only thing I've, the only thing I've heard about that is they have yet to find any kind of mechanical issue um, with the airplane. And speculation is that the pilot flying just lost control. Really? Well, yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, okay. it is. So the latest on my uh, on my instrument flight training here, uh, uh-oh, uh-oh. instrument ground school. It's becoming you know it's like becoming just learning and it's good stuff still. So but you're uh, going graham crackers, graham? Huh? I'm not sure if I get graham that. Crackers. It's a graham two arrival. Oh right? yes, right, yeah. You've so that puppy so many times now it's driving you nuts. N- well, no, I we only fl- I only flew it once. Actually, I've tried to fly it once at home, but uh, this so we. Uh, we, this was in the last class, uh, last Sunday. We uh, uh, did a whole simulated flight uh, from White Plains, New York, to Bedford, Mass. Uh, and, uh, I mean, the whole deal from, from you know, uh, working around a counter where we actually... This is the first time, I'm telling you, I shouldn't admit this maybe in public. This is the first time in years that I've actually sat down to try and fill out one of them flight planning logs. <laughs> <things, you know? laughs> it's like... <laughs> We're going to go from here to here, and then here to here, and it's this many miles, and it's going to take that many minutes. And I had to try and figure out how to how to use one of the 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 uh, what E six B calculators again, you know, and figure out wind correction. And oh my goodness gracious! Oh, I, I wish was, I'd been a fly on the wall for I this. I thought this was instrument flying. Where is this E six B calculator stuff coming in here again? Anyways, well, so we did that. It kind of came back to me, and I wasn't the only one. Everybody in the class are like flipping these things over in their hand, going, "What the heck is this?" So, uh, so we whiskey did a, tango. Foxtrot is this. Well, you know, the part that kills me is they say you do all this planning, you figure all this wind correction and airspeed correction and, you know, and all this stuff for your proposed route of flight and you file this thing. And then when the time comes to actually start flying it, they give you a different clearance altogether. You know, it's like, of course, you know, so uh, we did the planning. We talked about how you go about filing these things. We talked about how you do get, you know, clearance delivery. And then our instructor actually gave us simulated clearance, which, of course, was different than uh, than what we had filed. And then we fired up the uh, simulator, and uh, and we flew the route, uh, as he likes to say, by committee, where he was actually operating the uh, simulator, but he kept saying, now what do I do? Now what do I do? Now what do I do? <laughs> and, and so... Uh, <laughs> So we jump. Yeah. So we uh, we flew the uh, the the route, and uh, a lot of it we flew at four times normal speed in the simulator, just to kind of make the time pass a little bit. But it was pretty interesting. Uh, we flew uh, by airways, and then we flew this Graham to. Uh, oh, shut man. And then, I was uh, hoping that they'd fly at normal so that you're f- having to shoot the approach there, trying to hold your legs together because you've been <laughs> in the airplane too long. And if you don't get it on the ground, if you don't make this approach. Yeah. And then we flew the, uh, I guess it's the VOR runway 23 uh, or, or approach into uh, into Bedford. And uh, 
Uh, and so this is different. We've been simulating approaches uh, in the class up till now, and, and invariably we're just flying ILSs to actually to fly a non-precision like this. You know, there was some question as to whether when we broke out of the cloud, the simulated clouds, whether the airport was really going to be there. And we didn't do too badly. Um, we, we got fairly close. And uh, so it's pretty interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, you know, you're, you're flying Microsoft Flight Simulator? They are, yeah. I, I personally fly X-Plane here at home, but in the class we're flying fl uh, Microsoft Flight Simulator. And, so when, uh, what what point did you enter the Graham two arrival? I'm looking at this puppy going, whoa, Lee. Um, I believe we we went um, from Hartford. Uh, yeah, okay, from, from the Hartford, over the Hartford from the Hartford via because the Hartford VOR was one of the one of the waypoints on our plan to begin with. Um, okay, and uh, so instead of like making a turn and going off to the to the southeast from Hartford, we just kind of went more or less straight. You know, according to this, uh, you know, by way of this arrival. And uh, and then from there we went we flew out, flew out to and then the the uh, the VOR two three actually flies past Bedford up to Lawrence or Airport actually where you you use the Lawrence VOR um, and then do the procedure turn and then come back in and uh, and land and it was kind of fun I I I'm certainly enjoying the intellectual challenge of this and the you know the kind of putting a puzzle together and you know following yeah. instructions and figuring out how to do it and and what, all that kind of thing and uh, what uh, is the principal note on that arrival chart that would apply to you at this stage jack uh i don't know let me pull up that chart you're talking about the arrival or the or the or the, the arrival approach? the arrival uh i'm not sure tell me what would be the principal note this star applicable to all aircraft operating 11,000 feet and above and above yeah which would suggest that this isn't because we were flying at like seven thousand, yeah. as I recall. Yeah. And, uh, now they can they can certainly assign it to you, but you shouldn't really expect it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And um, and the nice thing about the training that you're doing, figuring all this stuff out, is that when you start doing instrument flying, yeah, you'll learn what works and what's most likely to get accepted, and then apply what you know how to figure that stuff out to filing the route well, that will get you the minimum amount of change. Well, the other thing, too, is is look at the preferred routes. I'm sure there's a preferred route between Westchester and Bedford. Uh, and yeah. pick up pick up the Northeast uh, uh, Airport Facility Directory, yeah. and That's thumb through in the back of it, you'll find preferred routes, and it's it's there's a lot of them, and you kind of have to make sure that you're looking at the correct page and the correct entries for you know they have them for pistons, they have them for turbojets, they have have them for turboprops in some instances. Um, and you have to make sure you're, you're talking apples and apples, but yeah. and, uh, that's and, another place to go. And that is, in fact, what we did. Um, uh, although we couldn't find one that took us all the way from White Plains to Bedford, there was one that kind of really? dumped us off uh, to the south uh, southeast of Bedford. And uh, um, but you know, the, and of course, you know, this isn't necessarily intended to be a real real world example. It's more of a of a chance to exercise the system, so to speak, and oh, exactly. You know, learn the procedures yeah. a little bit. And so it was you kind of learn the procedures. You want to learn the tools, yeah. and and this gives you a lot more exposure to more of the uh, 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 techniques that they use sometimes to manage our flow. Yeah. 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 
And then, uh, so that was in our class uh, on uh, on last Sunday. And then on my own, I'm still working on lots of practice questions, which is kind of not very fun and sexy, but uh, really the point of the whole thing is to pass the test. So, yeah. so yeah. slogging my way through the practice questions. Take, I took your advice, Jeb. I'm working from a, from a list that doesn't have good, good answers. Good. And uh, you know, spending a lot of time digging through. It, the, it's uh, it is it is more time consuming, but it's also I think you're going to get more out of it. <laughs> Yeah! Wow. Whoa! Moving right along. <laughs> that didn't okay. mute. No, it did no, not mute. David. Oh man, not. I threw the switch. <laughs> it did not mute. David. Well, the the, the switch threw back. Uh, <laughs> oh man! And I, I think I'm going to leave that in there. <laughs> that could be our new. That could that was, be our new bleep sound. <laughs> that was that was that was Higdon. H i g d o n. Higdon. Man, I hate this. I'm sitting out here in my office, and I can feel my face turning red. It's like, <laughs> all right, I can feel your face turning red. <laughs> Good. But now Lord. I don't trust the mute switch anymore. Well, see, I don't. You you use the mute switch that's on your on your headset as opposed to the mute button that's on Skype, right? Yeah. I, I use the same yeah, that's, that's, that's always worked before. I mean, you know, consider the following sentence. Why don't you? Okay. Now, did you hear all of that? No, you went away that time. Hey, you Thank you. Time. Okay. Then right. you don't have to hear what I said. Right. Well, that's enough we inside have, baseball. We have a geology <laughs> problem here is what, uh, what I think. Enough inside baseball. Let's get back to So, So practice questions, yeah, I, I'm, I'm a believer. I, I certainly <laughs> will learn more by being forced to look up the answers. And uh, Yeah. Um, and, that's and then the real education comes, you know, when when you can start to put together this stuff with what you got to do in the in the cockpit and flying these flying these training missions on the sim is is, is good preparation. I mean, you get to see what the needles are supposed to look like, yep. and uh, you know, and how things are supposed to line up. Uh, it can't begin to match for actual feel and touch. That's going to be different in the real airplane, but. Uh, being able to see and practice the, the 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 look and how things fit together, the sequence and all that, that's really good stuff. Yeah. It is. Yeah. Yeah. So more on that later on. Speaking of instrument navigation, um so apparently the president's budget plan is now hinting that they're going to get rid of the Loran chain. What what's the story here? I mean I mean I mean that, that may not be quite accurate, but what's the deal here? We were talking about this just a few weeks ago about how Loran actually might get beefed up because it's a good uh, uh, backup system to support um, ADSB, uh, the GPS of ADSB. But now they're talking about maybe de- decommissioning the Lorans after all. Uh, yeah, and uh, you know we're not sure how this is going to go forward. This isn't the first time or the first president to uh, uh, suggest decommissioning Loran. Uh, matter of fact. There was actually talk of it in in parallel with talk about building a new chain to fill the mid-continent gap back years ago Yeah, uh, because GPS was finally starting to come into its own and equipment was starting to come in. But Loran had been the big dog up there. The big problem with it was, you know, basically the middle uh, third of the country maybe shifted a little bit more west than dead center. There were no chains out there, no service. So if you got too far west on a trip from the east, you lost Loran coverage. Uh, So they actually funded. uh, This was in concert DOT and the Coast Guard because Coast Guard used to be part of uh, the uh, Commerce Department. And uh, they all worked together and put the mid-continent chain in. 
And that filled out the gap. And about the time the gap got filled out and people got updated Loran receivers uh, program to receive the uh, new chain, uh, you know, GPS just kind of capsized Loran in terms of popularity and equipment development and all that. Uh, but it's long been looked at as a cheap, available, uh, and, and already paid for system that could serve as a potential backup to GPS in the event of a national crisis, something, you know, blotting out the satellites or some kind of jamming signal or, you know, all these contingencies that have made people actually more afraid of GPS without backup than they were with of, of uh, Loran or VORs without backup. Now, now, this may be a naive question, but doesn't either the ADSB plan or the next-gen plan talk at all about what it intends should be used as a backup to GPS? Well, that's a very good question, and it's not that's a naive a good question. And um, I don't, I don't remember in the, in hearing the past, anything about it being solved. Yeah, yeah in the the past, um, most of the discussion about backups has focused on either um, what, what I would call partial failures of GPS. In other words, you have a loss or a loss um, uh, failure, but you still have um, um, rudimentary GPS, <clears throat> or you have uh, maybe the selective availability is, is uh, uh, put back in place, and you have reduced accuracy in GPS, but you still have some... GPS signal by which to navigate. Um, that's certainly you know one failure mode, and I'm sure that they're considering that also. But all of the outright uh, uh, total GPS failure modes uh, have looked at Loran as a backup. This keep you, know, you got to keep in mind here that uh, there's there's two things that are drive three things that are driving uh, um, this next gen program. Uh, all centered around sa- saving money. The first place they want to save money is air traffic controllers. Uh, they want to f- drastically reduce the number of air traffic controllers because, of course, they require salaries and nasty things like health benefits and, and retirement. Mm-hmm. The, s- the second place they want to uh, uh, reduce costs is in radar. Uh, radar installation, ground-based radar installations obviously cost money also. Um, and they they want to use ADSB to separate aircraft. The third place is uh, in uh, ground-based terrestrial navigation systems, your, your VOR, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they cost money also. ILS costs money, yeah. uh, et cetera, et cetera. So they want to do all this via uh, ADSB for separation uh, and, and or surveillance and uh, GPS for, for basic navigation. To my knowledge, if you do away with Loran and you do away with uh, other terrestrial-based systems um, and you're stuck with GPS and GPS goes down, well, you're talking about um, the, the Russian GLONASS system, I believe it's called, yeah. uh, as, as one backup. I believe either the, the Japanese and or the Chinese have... Um, satellite-based systems that they are working on, satellite-based navigation position-finding systems they are working on, but um, they're not ready for prime time yet. And I wouldn't uh, uh, be 
very optimistic that the uh, United States air traffic control system would embrace something the Chinese put out. So uh, it's it's a little short-sighted. I think you know this this article on AOPA uh, AOPA's website is talking about 190 million dollars over five years, which is is chump change. Um, and uh, I suspect uh, uh, you'll you'll probably see some or all of that survive. Um, Loran has been on the cutting block. Um, as long as I can remember, I, I remember uh, uh, having a conversation, it's been 25 years ago now, on Capitol Hill um, with a congressional aide who was um, bragging that they managed to cut Loran out of that year's budget. This was, you know, 1985 or something like that. And I'm like, dude, you know, you need to really put that back in. And it got back in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I flew uh, so it, this is nothing new under the sun. I flew in a DC three with. I flew uh, in that uh, same with, one. With yeah, the the, the demonstration. Yeah. It was a brand new right. installation. Tomorrow, Loran. We flew instrument approaches around the Washington DC area in that airplane to yeah. demonstrate the potential. You might and have been on the same flight I was on. We we might have been. They they ran them for two or three days there over right. the course of a week out of National Airport and. Uh, uh, you know, I, I came away with that first impressed that they were making a new use out of an old technology. I mean, Loran technology, the ground station technology, has been around since the Second World War. That's right. Uh, what came along was microprocessors and the uh, ability to store lots of data in small space and then very quickly translate the, the signals that produce the Loran position indication and have these little panel-mounted boxes do the translation and show you, not in Latin long, but in an arrow. Yeah. yeah. You know, with mileage, it was like, wow, all the early GPS stuff was basically just old Loran stuff exactly. where the position information was uh, coming from a GPS card instead of a Loran card and essentially the same box. Yeah, it was there, pretty cool. Even I remember that in the early days. There, there were two things about those demo flights that really struck me. One was they had a like a 21-inch CRT monitor. I think it said Sony on it, lashed yeah. to the bulkhead after yes. the after the cockpit, and that was the first time I'd ever seen what we know today as a moving map. Yeah, they they used the Loran signal, and I don't know how they digitized the the. Uh, uh, the map and, and how they did all that engineering, but it was really the first kind of moving map I had ever encountered. Yeah. Second thing was on one of the approach. Well, going back into national, um, we had to go miss because yeah. oh the, my the God, weather we might have been on the same flight. The, the weather caved, and um, we had to go miss approach on that. And we could see. I mean, you could you could see the airport on the moving map, and we're like, "Hey, wait, dude, just turn right a little bit and, and duck down and, and drop the gear You're right there." Here, there's there's runway two one, you know. But he couldn't do that legally yeah. at the time yeah. uh, because the, the none of the equipment was um, was certified. So we had to go to Manassas because we were running out of gas, and uh, uh, it was just it was just really weird. Uh, and really, my first exposure to what is just commonplace and, and matter of fact today. 
Yeah, it's just amazing. So you know, guys, you you need to get your you need to get your head out of the exhaust duct here and think <laughs> a little bit more long term than short term here. Uh, as Jeb so nicely put it, one hundred ninety million dollars over five years in today's economy is chump change. Yeah. Well, they are thinking uh, ahead, Dave. They're, they've they've mandated that we all have in our airplanes, uh, you know, like. Uh, uh, 1999 equipment by the year 2025. And uh, actually, no, they haven't <laughs> that's, mandated that's, that yet. They haven't mandated that yet. Yeah, they and, haven't even mandated that they, yet. Okay, they haven't yeah. even gotten to that point yet. And of course, that's the whole problem. Is anything? I don't want. I don't want to talk about it. I, yeah. You know. Okay. I, I, right. Well, I got. I, I heard one. I read a couple of different uh, versions of this, but uh, it's starting to be a recurring theme that I find very uh, uh, positive uh, for this whole question of ADSB and next gen. Yeah. Uh, and that's the uh, the question that's come up this past week. It's on our list, so I'm going to jump to it while we're talking uh, here. Yeah, go ahead. This past week, the uh, Jim May, the head of the Air Transport Association, the aviation association that we occasionally love to vilify, yeah. actually went on record uh, to Congress in support of accelerating ADSB and the old next-gen infrastructure. All the pieces exist. All the equipment exists. It's all been tested. It's just a matter of fronting the money, getting the installation done. And he told some members of Congress this past week that this could be done and up and ready to be functional in five years if the country would put ADSB and NextGen on the kind of priority footing that the country put interstate highway construction back in the 50s and into the early 60s. -hmm. That we could have this national network changeover ready to go in five years, and uh, you know, talking about all the benefits, he even talked about the benefits for his friends in general aviation. Uh, and one of the uh, holdup on that has been that the FAA's proposal wants us to pay money to equip our airplanes with no return benefit to us, the people paying money to put the equipment in our airplanes. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Uh, more than one member of Congress now has expressed the opinion that this might be an area where incentive money could be available or transition money could be available because of the long-term cost benefits of getting everybody on the same page as quickly as possible and putting that on the national credit card because the payback, I said the money be that could be saved very quickly in, and, and much earlier by being able to decommission radars shut down VOR stations and stop installing ILSs or replacing ILSs. Uh, you know, Australia is going so far here as putting in uh, a, a, a ground-based correction system that equates to what we were calling uh, uh, differential GPS or local area augmentation a few years ago, mm-hmm. where one ground station broadcast a corrected GPS navigation signal right. to all the other aircraft equipped with GPS, IFR GPS in the area, can provide simultaneous ILS precision, ICAO approved approaches to 40, I think it was 46 runway ends simultaneously in an area inside 23 miles from one little station. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Think of all the ILSs that could be just taken away. Right. 
and and all the new runway ends that could be served because you could get ILS precision without you know the million two that an ILS costs now and all See, the, the, prob- costs, the, so. the problem with that plan is just going out there and, and putting ADSB into place and um, you know, even subsidizing it for that matter isn't um, compliant with what the FAA wants to do. What they want to do is start cutting their costs, specifically their manpower costs, and specifically the air traffic controller workforce, um, and mandate that everybody who wants ATC services has ADSB. They want to put the cart before the horse where uh, May, to his credit, and, and most others want to put the, the uh, horse in front of the cart. Well, and, and I uh, don't think that's, it, that's I don't think, I don't think it can be the way the FAA wants it. I think that's why their NPRM. What was it? A little over a year ago. Well, remember that it, it NPRM. Ran into, it ran into a worse hot wall than the uh, TSA's large aircraft security program. Well, it almost uh, did. Remember that 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 NPRM simply talked about the transmitting the airborne transmitting equipment it didn't talk about anything else and and there wasn't a standard uh, it was a very preliminary kind of thing but it I was remember. jumped on um well, i think we jumped on it and i think of a bunch of other people jumped on it as too little too late um and, and for too much and for too much and it yeah. was it was just another typical um FAA, um, um, I, I, I got it. I can simplify it for you. Over it's another stupid FAA idea yeah. that presupposes that they can start eliminating equipment right. and saving the money before they complete the investment and the replacement and and duplicate the service. And and more than one person, and having May on board on this, I think ought to carry a lot of sway. In the end, Congress can make the FAA dance the way that it needs to. But getting the equipment in, you know, and, and I know it also doesn't solve the problem of how to change ATC procedures and and, and take advantage better. of all this technology. But you got to have all that equipment in and everybody playing before you can begin to start eliminating equipment and changing procedures to take advantage of it. Otherwise, you run along for years with dual equipment needs and dual procedure needs because uh, neither ATA, AOPA, NBAA, nor NATA, nor uh, Gamma or EAA are going to get on board the idea that they're going to let the FAA start eliminating radars and eliminating ILSs and eliminating VORs and then promising to fill in the gap later. That's yeah. why they are sorry, already sorry. on track to do 200-plus ground stations by 2012. Uh, they got to have the ground station infrastructure in before ADSB becomes available and functional all over the country. Yeah. Uh, well, we could, by 2013, 2014, not only have the ground stations in, but equip all the aircraft and put in place all the transition computers and, and uh Translators, because in their wisdom, the FAA wants to do a two-technology solution, one for above 24,000 and one below 24,000. Uh, it also doesn't make sense, but now I'm going too far. Yeah. We better move along yeah. here. We better move along here. Um, so in, uh, let's see now, cross your fingers, knock on wood, uh, you know, whatever your superstition is. Um, but uh, some people, myself included, think that we may possibly be seeing some signs that the uh, 
that uh, think the tide is turning in the in the scary economy. Um, I've been saying lately that uh, I'm seeing tiny little signs. Uh, companies are have for help uh, help wanted signs, and uh, um, a few companies are reporting uh, reasonably good quarters and things like that. Um, a, a big uh, a big aviation company uh, said some positive things lately. David, you want to tell us about that? Well, yeah, Roger White, who's uh, the head marketing guy at Cessna Aircraft, uh, uh, presided over a uh, delivery ceremony this past Monday, during which he uh, he uh, commented on how they were they believe they're beginning to see the bottom in terms of the business aircraft market downturn, uh, and he wasn't the only one uh, to so express that opinion in the last week and a half. There have been two other analysts uh, voice basically the same view that uh, it looks like some of the indicators are starting to turn around and some sales activity is starting to pick up or order activity is starting to pick up. Uh, It's not going to make anybody flash reverse their reduced production plans, reduce layoff plans or anything like that because of the flurry of people who have opted to delay delivery or cancel orders out of a backlog that had grown hugely out of proportion. Uh, But the fact that these guys that are selling new airplanes, and Cessna is also not the only manufacturer to report that they're starting to see more order interest mm-hmm. they just been the, they've just been the most upfront about it yeah. uh, and keep in mind Cessna just recently announced that they were delaying development of their new uh, uh, Columbus large cabin business jet by six months yeah yeah so, uh, so that reflects some real you know that reflects the imp- the influence of the softness that we've already been through. Right, right. So let's not blow out our... I hope, I ahead, hope that's right. I, I hope that's not a self-fulfilling prophecy attempt on their part. Um, you know, we could all use some good news, especially in the in the industry. But yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, if not, they'd been the leading voice on that, uh, I, my spider sense might have been a lot more skeptical about that. But uh, uh, Roger's comments were actually like the third version of that same message that I'd heard in about 10 or 11 business days. And uh, uh, his came across a little differently, but complimentary to the things I'd heard prior to that. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure that it's going to have a big effect short term on outfits like Cirrus and Cessna's Pistons Sale and Mooney Aircraft, which, of course, is completely on hiatus right now. Uh, they've got airplanes on the ramp to deliver, but they, I don't think they're producing much of anything. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, we, we, you know, on the, on the cusp of going out of business for like 50 years. Yeah. yeah. So. We won't blow this out of proportion, but I, I just, yeah. I think it's good to keep, you know, it's, it's comforting to me anyways, to see these little signs that, uh, that maybe we're getting close to turning things around here and that's good. Yeah. So, uh, I was saying I was just down in Morgantown. Um, I went to Morgantown by way of the airlines, uh, and uh, I flew out of uh, Boston, which wasn't my choice, but that's where our travel agent put me, uh, from Boston to Dulles in a, uh, uh, I think it was a 757 going down and a 737 coming back. But the interesting part of the flight was Dulles to Morgantown in uh, both ways in a Saab 340 
Uh, oh, nice airplane. Twin turboprop. A lot of fun airplane. I really enjoyed that. I was really, I was looking forward to this. I was also looking forward to um, to the airport because I looked up the airport in advance of the trip. And uh, Morgantown Airport is not like, you know, even a media. I mean, this is like a little municipal airport. I was surprised to get there and discover there was actually a control, a working tower. <laughs> um, this is a this is a little ta- little. I mean, it's literally it's Morgantown Municipal Airport, and uh, uh, it, it was just a lot of fun to uh, to arrive in this uh, you know to take this trip this this portion of the trip. We uh, like I said flew out of Dulles, uh, headed from uh, from Dulles uh, sort of to the northwest uh, towards Morgantown, uh, flying low. And as we're arriving in the area, flying low over the hills, um, although Morgantown, excuse me, the airport is sort of on a on a top of a hill. Um, mm-hmm. It is the area is surrounded by a larger, or at least it has a lar- even larger uh, ridge to the east. So as we were arriving in the area, um, we were descending, and and we descended. I mean, we were just really skimmed over the top of this ridge to get into the area, and, uh, <laughs> and that was kind of fun, you know, to kind of like coming down over the top of this over the over the edge of this ridge, and then we kind of like made this made this right turn, which turned out to be basically we were flying a downwind, uh, a pretty wide downwind, and uh, and then turn base and then turn final to. To, uh, to land on this uh, a bit over 4,000 foot runway, I believe, um, and uh, it, w- it was it was fun. It was real flying. 4,000. Land- Wait a minute. I'm showing one at 51.99 and one at 27.69. All right, then it would there would have been the 51. I, what I what I was going by is I saw the 4,000 foot marker um, near where we turned mm-hmm. off, and I thought, oh, okay, it didn't so seem you- like there was a whole thousand after that. But okay, let's call it 5,000. <laughs> <laughs> Nevertheless, it was an interesting ride. Um, so, it, one of the couple things I found interesting about the way this uh, Saab 340 uh, arrived at Morgantown. First of all, and I don't know whether this is maybe just normal operating procedure for this aircraft. It was a little bit bumpy, and uh, uh, I would imagine as a result of the air, you know, turbulence over these hills and this une- uneven terrain. Um, but he seemed to be carrying an awful lot of engine power um, throughout the whole, uh, all the way until touchdown. I mean, I, I was kind of. You know, it just seemed like there was a lot of power um, throughout this whole process. But uh, the moment we touched down, I mean, the moment we touched down, this thing went into serious, you know, whatever they could reverse thrust. Or, reverse, yeah. You know, what they, they, I want to say beta. Is that what they call it? Is that when no, the, no, he no, went into, beta. He went, into, he went into reverse. Yeah. That, yeah. That's when the blades go to reverse angle, right? Is that the, the blade? Beta, beta is basically flat pitch. Oh, it's flat yeah. pitch. Okay. So, yeah, beta uh, is when they make that really irritating noise that, and and they, okay. they basically don't drive forward or backwards. Right, then I that's the wrong term. But they uh, so we went to uh, reverse thrust on on the propellers and uh, and boy you could just feel the deceleration, and uh, and I'm watching these thousand foot markers go by. You know I'm saying okay I think we can I think we can you know, um, and we slow we got we got to to you know under uh, to slow down enough in plenty of time. And your captain probably does that fifteen or sixteen times a week. I'm sure he does. I'm sure he does. And uh, it did make me think though. For some reason, as this was happening, I'm thinking to myself, how how do how do they actually keep the airplane going straight during that reverse thrust? Is there still enough air going over the tail that they can, or, or do they use a nose wheel steering? Do you know? Yes. Oh, all, all of these things. Okay. Because um, uh, I'm thinking, man, there's a lot of force pushing backwards on both yeah. of these blades, and well, one, you got one nose wheel steering and the other. You got you know? nose wheel steering in that airplane. Yeah. Yeah, you got nose wheel steering. You've got, you know, still got rudder at uh, at at touchdown speeds, mm-hmm. and you know, don't forget, there's differential thrust. 
Yeah, and I guess if you're good at it, you can use that effectively. It just seemed to me that it would be hard to control, but maybe not. Uh, you know, guys, folks that fly those little regionals uh, and stay in them for a while. Yeah. If it's anything like it was when I covered regionals for Transport World years ago, uh, these guys get really adept at their airplanes because they're flying, in general, 20 to 50% more segments a day than their you know, then their corporate can fly in the uh, 737s, 57s, and on up. Yeah, yeah. It, how long was your hop from Dulles to Morgantown? Just about it's an 20. hour. Just about an hour. Yeah, an hour? An hour in a 300, that's a 300-knot airplane. Well, I don't. Well, I didn't give, time. Give me, I didn't coming down to Dulles, you may not you be going quite You might have been sitting back. in it for an hour, but Morgantown is, is you know, even by Debonair, is 30 minutes from Dulles. Yeah, I know coming back he told us it was a 40-minute flight. And really? I, didn't, I didn't really time it going out, so I don't know. But uh, oh. um, So it was really fun to fly, to, to do that. Um, the, the, and then coming home this morning was kind of interesting. Um, first of all, and I want to talk about the airplane, but the first thing that was pretty interesting. So, so two days ago we were talking to the hotel people because we needed a ride in their shuttle from the hotel back to the airport. And so I'm just like not really thinking clearly, and I'm saying, you know, and the shuttle driver's saying, so what time's your flight? And I'm saying, well, our flight's at 10:30 in the morning, so I guess that means we need to be at the airport at like, you know, 8:30. And then suddenly, and everybody looks at me funny, you know, it's like, Jack, there's like going to be one flight, there's going to be 10 passengers, you do not need to be there <laughs> two hours in advance. And I'm going, oh yeah, I guess you're right. And the whole time we were planning this thing, it really made me itchy, you know, because like I'm thinking about, so, so we planned to leave the airport an hour in advance of the flight. All right. Right. And uh, and the airport's like a five ten ten minute drive. So we arrived at the airport forty five minutes before take before departure time, and uh, and and this is a really little airport. Uh, uh, it is mostly a GA airport that has just a little bit of of airline service. But of course they've got a little TSA security corridor there. And uh, I thought it was interesting that there were more there from what I saw looking around, there were more TSA people there than there were airline <laughs> operations people. Um, no, let's not talk oh, about the Full Employment okay. Act of 2003. There were, there were, I counted five secu- TSA security individuals there, all doing something around the belt and so forth. You and know, they, they got a lot of rabbits in that part of West yeah. Virginia. And then, the, and then there was one guy who directed the airplane in. There was another guy who was out walking the wing. And there was a third person who was going heading for the baggage door. And, and those are the I saw like three, maybe four ground personnel uh, servicing this airplane and, and five TSA agents. And uh, so... Anyways, but uh, but never they did this. It was everything. It took went very quickly because, like I said, there were ten passengers. But uh, but uh, you know all the same things. Take off your shoes. You know, put your uh, laptop in the bucket and uh, the whole deal. So we uh, we boarded our uh, our Saab three forty and uh, taxied out and uh, and we did uh, you know we did your textbook short field takeoff. I mean, he taxied in a position. He apparently put on the brakes and ran up the engines, and we're like vibrating like crazy and not moving all right and he let go of the brakes and man i got slammed back in the seat i mean i was like i wasn't expecting it and suddenly boom you know and it accelerated out and, and just climbed right out of course oh and, uh, like gect7 engines yeah but like i said you know it's like dave said they they know how to fly these things and it was a lot of fun and uh uh, the flight back wasn't as as interesting for me because it was a little cloudier so as everyone knows i like to watch the ground but uh, but uh, <laughs> you know <laughs> And then we got back to uh, to Dulles and uh, got back into a you know a, you know, a real world. Then you went world. to you know the the ugly side of air travel. Yeah, 
Yeah. Hubbing through. Hubbing through. Excuse me, I'm hubbing through, please. Yeah. When we were tax taxiing in at Dulles, uh, uh, you know, our little our little uh, twin turboprop is taxiing past all these this big iron, and one thing I saw, uh, and I'm looking, there's a big airplane, uh, was an Airbus 340 was uh, was at one of the gates. We, uh, my my travel partner and I were talking about this earlier. We were we were, we were speculating on how many uh, four engine airliners there are still in service, um, and uh, I could only think of 747s. But uh, they well, the example. Airbus A380 is another one. Oh, it's yeah. not in service quite yet, but but yeah, it is. Yes, it is. Oh yeah, yes, it, is. it is. Oh really? I didn't know oh, that. Yeah, it has been in oh. service for what? Almost two years now. Yeah, not that long. The, uh, the 380 more than a year. The 380, not that, yeah. not two years, maybe a year. Air, uh, Air Singapore, I know is, a year. Yeah, okay. has well, several of them. Uh, I think uh, Air New Zealand uh, also, maybe Qantas. I'm not sure. So we've got an Airbus 340 and 380. We've got a 747. Um, are there any 1011s really still in service in the in like you know? Well, those are only three. Three engines. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Those are trip. Those are triples. Okay. All right. Those are not four. No, no 707. Every now and then you'll see a 707 or a DC-8 freighter. Yeah. Uh, but those are not really in passenger service anymore, unless you're talking third world operations. Yeah. Yeah. There may uh, still be some Boeing 707s or some. Uh, Douglas uh, DC-8s still operating and uh, did I just say and, that? Uh, yeah. Huh? <laughs> did you say eights? Yeah, <laughs> I did. Oh, um, sorry, you, I missed that. One. You know, you know why? You know, so many people only fly on four-engine airliners. Why is that? Because there are no five-engine airliners. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, some people they like that. <laughs> but there, there is uh, there there is at least one six-engine airplane and. If anybody can name that by the next episode, uh, you get well, the no prize prize. Uh, airliner or airplane? Well, it was designed to be an airplane that could serve as an airliner. Its primary role in the world today is is uh, heavy lift cargo. Oh, uh, AN-24? Um, uh, no. No? No? No. It's a foreign. For what it's worth, I believe the... Uh, I believe the uh, military still has some uh, B-52s flying. Those are eight. yes. Those are eight. Oh, those are eight engines. That's eight, right. Eight That's right. Yeah, That's right. That reminds me of the old joke. F-16 pilots yeah. having a little trouble with his airplane, <laughs> and he's told he needs to wait on the uh, B-52 ahead. It's got an engine out situation, and the F-16 pilot radios back. Oh wow, the dreaded seven-engine approach. <laughs> 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 the other the other B fifty two joke is um, um, the B fifty two is on approach to the runway and you know a deer runs out or something like that and the captain holler or the, the aircraft commander hollers hey we're going around everybody grab a throttle <laughs> <laughs> meetups hey so uh, uh, this probably will be heard by most people too late but we w- are planning we're going to do the uh, this first uh, Central New England UCAP meetup on. Uh, this coming Monday night, uh, here in uh, in Tewksbury, Mass, uh, near near Lawrence Airport, near uh, Bedford Airport, near Nashua Airport, and uh, we're looking forward to that. Looks like there's going to at least be a handful of us there. Um, where one person is apparently going to be bringing a laptop with a uh, with a uh, a cellular internet card, so uh, we can do some sort of posting. I don't know what this is going to turn into, but. Uh, post on the forum live from the meetup or something like that. And uh, 
So we're looking forward to our first meetup uh, up here in the New England area. Uh, and uh, we are still planning to do the uh, Barnes fly-in, drive-in meetup uh, at uh, Barnes Airport in uh, sort of central, western central Massachusetts, probably in April or May. More on that later on. David, apparently you had decided that you can't use the place you were going to use for the Wichita meetup. What's the latest? Well, I was, hoping, I was hoping a friend of mine's new uh, uh, restaurant and bar would be open, but uh, I'm going to... I'm going to close the loop on that tonight and uh next Wednesday, March 25th, uh the uh, Stick and Rudder Club at Savut's restaurant uh on North Broadway in Wichita. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to show up there about 5:30 and uh anybody that's in the area is invited. I'm going to I'm going to fir- affirm this on the forums. Mm-hmm. page two with a post uh tonight or tomorrow morning but uh, i'm gonna hang out there from about five thirty to about seven thirty, mm-hmm. and uh uh i know there's a handful of locals that we're talking about showing up so we'll see how this works out that'd be fun, that'd be fun. jeb any uh progress on putting something together no down progress, in your neighborhood? but i'm gonna try to light a fire under that this weekend that'd be great that'd be great yeah. okay good good um so another skycatcher fell out of the sky. Uh, this is the yeah. What is up with that? The, the Cessna, the Cessna LSA. Um, this one wasn't quite as dramatic, but nevertheless, uh, he apparently had decided he needed to pop the chute. And uh, and he the flo- one thing they're proving here. What's that? They can land right side up, and they can land upside down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, J- David. You're there in Wichita. What's the what's the scuttlebutt? Uh, can you tell us? Do you know anything? I don't really know anything beyond what I saw uh, yesterday evening in the Wichita Eagles uh, uh, website uh, at kansas.com. But I know the area where the airplane was uh, flying. It's near uh, El Dorado Lake. There's a nice airport up there at El Dorado uh, and a big recreational lake. It's a uh, watershed operation. Uh, and there's a state pin at El Torado that okay. you're not supposed to fly over going in and out of the airport. Well, that's what the problem was right there. Right? Uh, but apparently uh, the airplane was uh, was was accompanied by uh, a chase plane for the test that it was doing on Thursday and entered an attitude from which the uh, uh, pilot apparently could not assert control. They haven't said whether it was a spin like the uh, uh, prior Skycatcher accident last year. Uh, But in this instance, the uh, BRS, Emergency Airframe Parachute System, deployed properly. And the airplane came down under canopy. And the uh, test pilot, who has not been identified, was able to get out, uh, was able to ride it out. Uh, He was checked out of the hospital but had no injuries. And uh, now I've had conflicting information on this. Uh, Cessna spokesman told one contact of mine that uh, he thought it was uh, funny, the description that the airplane had been dragged by the parachute, because it was rather windy around here on Thursday, uh, the 19th of March. A news report that I saw said the airplane's parachute got caught by gust and drug across the ground, and I've heard through a fence. Uh, At any rate, it wound up inverted, which is not the normal landing attitude of a (laughs) 
of an aircraft that deploys a parachute. Mm-hmm. Uh, they come down nose low, nose hits first in the main gear, and they basically sit on their belly, maybe with bent gear or collapsed gear. So this puppy wound up upside down. Uh, I'm sure it was quite an interesting ride for the pilot. Yeah. We've not been uh, we've not been uh, blessed with any specifics on exactly what kind of test they were doing. Right, that's what I was uh, curious. What the situation was? Like nothing yet, huh? Yeah, we we heard a lot more a lot more quickly about the one that uh, uh, was lost last fall. Now, the one that was last lost last fall was a uh, non-conforming, as they put it, uh, one-off proof of concept airplane. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one that went down Thursday, the 19th, was a conforming airplane that had received a uh, tail mod to increase the uh, tail area, right. specifically the uh, vertical stab and the rudder area, as a uh, fix to the unrecoverable spin the airplane got into that precipitated last fall's accident. Last, right. So this is... Uh, and no, that's not, they're not they're, they're not going to put it out until they're confident it's got it fixed. Yeah. But this is not a happy moment for a program that already had one airplane go down uh, for the inability to control it after entering a certain attitude. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's it's as we as we speak. This happened yesterday, so this really hasn't been very much time passed. But it, it's kind of interesting to see what's going on here. It does kind of make you wonder. And, uh, well, and, 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 and I feel and bad be- for the program because it's a very hopeful yeah, program. Yeah. And, uh, uh, well, and I was talking to uh, Cessna executive uh, Tuesday afternoon at a Wichita Aero Club luncheon, luncheon uh, and asked him you know, when they expected to start receiving the uh, uh, Skycatcher kits from China. Cessna has set up three assembly points across the United States, a western region, a central region, an eastern region, and the airframe kits are going to arrive from the manufacturer in China and then be assembled, quality checked, and test flown uh, at these three different locations. The central location happens to be here in Wichita at Yingling Aviation. (laughs) Well, you know, the company... Different outfits got to bid on doing this job, and I'm, uh, you know, my hat's off to... uh, to the folks at Yingling in, uh, Aviation for landing this gig, because that wasn't an automatic or a slam dunk yeah. by any 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 uh, stretch. But the word that uh, this executive gave me a couple of days ago was that uh, they were expecting you know the latter half of the year for the kits to start arrive, them start final assembly and start delivery. Hmm. And I know of a couple of people at Cessna. Uh, one of them I'd, I'd, I'd label an executive. Who has an order for a skycatcher? And uh, I'm trying to put myself in their place right now uh, on where my instincts and my emotions would be after this happening a second time. Yeah. So we wish them well. We, you know, we wish them to get it not only fixed, but as is Cessna's usual practice, not only fixed, but fixed in the information shared. Mm-hmm. on what the problem was and how they fixed it and what they're going to do to test and 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 eliminate this as a future problem. Yeah. Exactly. 
Exactly. So, hey, we are, as I haven't said in a long time, uh, starting to reach the end of our allotted time here. Um, we're definitely going to do shout-outs, but is there anything else on this list uh, we don't want to put off until later? I'll give you a second. Oh, real, real quick and dirty on my part, Yeah, uh, i got to tip my hat to the Transportation Security Administration, and you, you all will understand how, 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 how odd that must sound coming from me, but they I, I added a, a general aviation liaison person named... Juan Barnes, yeah, and they're going to be having a GA liaison and teleconference uh, on the net on March 25th, and uh, there'll be a link on the website to how you can get yourself on the list for that. They want questions three days ahead of time. But Juan <laughs> Barnes, his email address for contact. But you got questions or comments? Or I, I only have issues? one question. Yeah, I only have one question. What's that? Why? No. Yeah, see, because I'm... I, I, what, what did Juan Barnes do, and to whom did he do it to get this job? <laughs> I know, really. <laughs> see, I don't know. I, I guess I've been hanging out with, with Burnside too long, because I'm really cynical about this. I, you know, I read, all, I read this press release, I read this announcement, and to me, what I heard the voice in my head was saying, not that this is a person that's going to help the TSA solve these problems. It's a person who's going to help explain to us little folks why the TSA is right. Now, maybe I'm just being unfair. All well, right? that- that's well, not, no, that, that's I don't think it's fair. even that. I don't think it's even that, Jack. It's 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 really more cynical in my mind. This is a person they're putting out there to listen. They're they're saying, "Well, we've listened to General Aviation's concerns, and here is our response." Bend right. over, and we're not even going to give you any Vaseline. Yeah, I mean, I worked for a company that will go it's, unnamed. It's that cynical um, because they're not saying in any of this uh, that they're going to listen and that they're going to react. They're just saying we have a point of contact. Well, whoop de doo. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I got a well, I got a point of contact for you right here, buddy. Yeah, I know. I worked for a company a long time ago that will go unnamed, but um the 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 internal stated out loud strategy to deal with customer complaints in many cases, not every case, but in many cases, was to listen very carefully and then postpone doing anything until they went away. All right? And uh, you know, we're very cynical about TSA. Maybe we should give them a chance, especially under the new administration. No, 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 no. We've, we, I, I was going to say, no, if there's anything that's, I'm willing, that makes me willing to give them a little uh, slack here, a little, okay? We can measure this in one of the cups in my kitchen. Uh, a little slack here is, uh, you know, the appearance of them being willing to hear things by creating this person. Uh the cynical side of me says, but they've had a contact person with the big alphabet groups and others for years who've yep. been telling them the same stuff, and it didn't right. stick then. Exactly. Uh, exactly. But they also, just, they also just rolled back a little bit uh, on the, uh, on the uh, playbook uh, variable security plan for GA airports that also happen to have airline service. Uh, that gives me a, a you know micrometers worth of okay that's different uh, that's not the worst decision that they could have done and which is what I would have really expected and the fact that there's a, a new administration and a new secretary of homeland security who is from what I understand you know taking the time and looking at the details on not just what. TSA does with aviation, but what all the DHS departments are doing with all their clientele. 
So, you know, yeah. the well, worst that they can do is be the, the same crappy, tone-deaf, uh, unresponsive outfit that they we know them to be and are already are. So they can't get worse. They can just continue. Yeah. Maybe, you know, with a little encouragement and a little slack, and this guy, Juan Barnes, uh, makes me wonder if he's any relation to Poncho Barnes, but that's something that probably wouldn't happen for – I'm not going to get into. This should be uh, the first – this should be – go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say, you know, I, I, if they're willing to put up a front of trying, I'm willing to let them try and, 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 and let them have a fair try. And sure. if they prove that they're just as stupid and non-responsive and uncreative as they have been, then we'll go back to the shillelagh in the wet towel beatings right. like this should be This should be the first piece of UCAP merchandise. We'll make T-shirts with this guy. We'll find a picture of the guy, and we'll put his face on the front of the shirt, and the, the caption will read, Who did Juan Barnes piss off? And, <laughs> <laughs> Jeb, you got one you don't want to let go before we, before we get <laughs> out of here? Not to okay. Shout-outs. Uh, you got anything quickly you want to say? There's a couple of uh, sad stories, or at least one sad story here that we want to s- probably say a word or two about. Um, uh, it appears that uh, mountain flying trainer legend Sparky Imason, uh, it more than appears, he did in fact crash and die uh, in a flying accident earlier this week, and it's just very sad. Um, for many of us, he wrote the book about mountain flying, and uh, uh, you know, and to his credit, he he was he was serious about mountain flying. He did it all the time, apparently, and uh, you know, uh, apparently ran into something that he couldn't deal with, and. Uh, and uh, was missing for it was it was at shades of Steve Fawcett he was missing but they did find him uh, pretty quickly yeah and, and uh, not all that far from where he departed yeah, either yeah so uh, very very sad our 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 thoughts and prayers go out to his family and friends and and uh, and uh, all of us who who read and and got something from his books you know his particularly one book um, you know we're we're thinking of you anyways uh, any others you got I've got. One more I want to do before we're done. But go, go ahead. Well, I'll, I'll do a real quick one here. Uh, my old friend and colleague, Jack Elliott, who uh, wrote for about uh, 38 years covering aviation and doing an aviation column for the Star Ledger uh, in New Jersey. Uh, he was just recognized by his hometown. Uh, well, actually, just back in February. Uh, Jack Elliott, uh, one of the sage wise seen so much that I'll never see uh, aviation journalists that I got to know early on in my career and he's never been impolite he's never been impatient he was always encouraging always treated me like a, a real colleague uh, won a lot of awards for his aviation writing uh, and uh, you know just hats off to Jack on being recognized by uh, the folks in his hometown um, it's way, obviously, way too late for anybody to uh, take advantage of this announcement, but I do want to s- send a shout-out to my friends at Southern Maine Aviation. I'm headed up there tomorrow uh, morning, Saturday, uh, to their uh, chili cook-off and safety seminar. <laughs> it's going to be a, quite an afternoon. Where, uh, and those things go right together. Don't, don't they, though? Yeah. Gonna... <laughs> I was going to say, uh, peas in a pod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So uh, uh, the sort of uh, sort of typical chili cook-off, everyone's been invited to uh, to 
to uh, bring their favorite chili recipe or bring some a pot of their favorite chili, and uh, there's going to be some sort of uh, some sort of voting. We're all going to get to taste it and uh, and enjoy the chili, and then uh, and then around 1:30 or so, uh, there's going to be a safety seminar. Uh, I, to be honest with you, I don't even know what the subject is, but uh, but we're going to learn something about. Uh, about aviation what's the, what's and the uh, forecast up there tomorrow. Uh, I think it's supposed to be good. To be honest with you, I haven't looked recently, but uh, I think it's supposed to be fairly nice. And uh, it's still a little chilly. We haven't. Uh, it's not 70 degrees here, but uh, it's it's nice. It was probably in the 40s, I believe, mid mid to high 40s. That's what I would say. Beautiful day for New England. Beautiful. About like your age, right? Yeah, yeah. That's right. God bless you. God bless you, Dad. <laughs> Anybody else got anything? <laughs> Jeff? I'm not going near that. No. David, you anything else? Just uh, want to thank everybody for tuning in. The notes I've gotten on the forum site tell you keep coming. Yep. Just keep him coming. Yep, yep. That's David Higdon. Yep. Dave is a uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Well, I'm at DaveHigdon.biz, and anybody that cares to check, sign in the guest book, leave me a note. We just updated the home page and the flash presentation on the home page and started making some other changes uh, in what I hope is a weekly ritual for me from here on out to keep this ball rolling. Uh, early April, or I'm sorry, yeah, early April, I'm going to start trying to post a monthly airplane or flying machine photo with a calendar on it that can be used as a uh, as wallpaper on your computer if you care to do it uh, visit the site in the meantime it's up it's running it's functional uh, come and let me know what you think very cool very cool and Jeb Burnside, you are an aviation journal- journalist currently serving as editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine where can people find you on the internet well, I'm I'm going to get my website up and running this this weekend. I'm going to give free beer. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, David can give a free calendar. Okay, but I've got to. I'm going to give free beer. All you got to do is 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 log on to the website and turn on the spigot on your computer. <laughs> I see. If right. your computer doesn't have the spigot, it's not my problem. You're out of luck. You're out of luck. What's that? Yeah. What, what's that URL? Um, um, well, the personal website is jeburnside.com, and uh, I will get it sorted out this weekend. Uh, my day job is um, aviationsafetymagazine.com, and every now and then you can find me on AvWeb, including the bloopers reel, which is up. I just uh, love on, the fact. AvWeb.com. But, uh, I just uh, love go the ahead, fact, Jack. Go I just ahead. love the go fact ahead. that your smiling face is 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 the poster boy for the blooper the Avweb blooper reel. It's like <laughs> no. every time I look at that little thing it's like hey, Avweb blooper reel and there's Jeb's smiling face. So you are the you are the face some, of Avweb some, screw ups right there, right? Some of us ascribe to greatness, some of us have greatness thrust upon us. <laughs> I see. All right. And some of us just land on it and the lifeguard pulls us out. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm Jack Hodgson. Something like that. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer and a new media producer. You can learn more about me at jackhodgson.com and aroundthefield.net. We want to thank Jeff Ward for uh, putting together our uh, wonderful show notes that Scoffrey Jet on the forums. We also want to thank our many listeners, and particularly Mike Morgan and Royce Earl, for creating the show opening disclaimer clips. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the airport restaurants list, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? 
Live longer, fly more, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. That's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFN. <laughs>